Tonight's scripture reading is from the book of uh, 2 Timothy, which is on page 1195, and we're reading from verses 1 to 7. Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power love and self-discipline. Good evening, everyone. Let me add my welcome. Um, It's so great to see you. Um, And thank you, Chris, for reading um, those verses so clearly for us. Um, It it will help you to keep um, 2 Timothy open, um, and not just the verses that Chris read. Um, We'll be doing a bit of flicking um, forwards and backwards Um, throughout the letter as well this evening as we start to look at it. Shall we pray? I think that would be a good thing to do. Let's pray. Father, we praise you so much for the privilege of knowing the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your compassion to us in him. Thank you for the wonderful gospel that you have revealed in the person of your Son. Thank you for the privilege of being united to him. And thank you, Father, that you continue to equip us through your words. And we pray, Father, that as we look at these verses tonight and this letter, this term, that you would indeed equip us with your words to be a church that is faithful to the gospel, that holds on to the gospel, and that passes on the gospel so that many more people might hear about the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Help us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. As we begin this evening, I want you to imagine that you live in a country where loads of people used to go to church. A country where the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, used to be believed by many, a country where the teaching of the Bible was seen as good and acceptable. But now a country where the gospel seems to be in decline, a country where church attendance is dropping, and more than that, a country where there is increased hostility for Christians. A country where there is increased pressure and indeed persecution for church leaders who seek to remain faithful to what God says. 
I don't think we need to imagine it. I think we live in it. This week I was reminded um, of a story from a couple of years back of an ordained Anglican vicar suspended by the Church of England for teaching Church of England and biblical doctrine. And all of this means, you see, all of this means that it's decision time for church leaders. Church leaders have got a choice to make. Are they going to remain faithful to the gospel even though it could lead to suffering? Or are they not going to remain faithful to the gospel in order to avoid suffering? Are they going to persevere in preaching what God says, even if it leads to persecution? Or will they compromise for the sake of comfort? It's decision time. Over the next couple of um, months or so on Sunday evenings, we're going to be looking through this letter this letter that the Apostle Paul sent to Timothy, and it's going to be really helpful for us because the situation that we are in is very similar to the situation that Timothy finds himself in, in Ephesus. Back in Acts, Paul goes to Ephesus for the very first time, and the gospel has a massive impact. The word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power, we're told. And as he leaves this church in Ephesus, in in Acts 19, Paul gives the elders there some very clear training. They've had the best training possible from the Apostle Paul. All was looking good. The church in Ephesus appearing strong. But don't be naive. Not all good churches remain good. And that was definitely the case with Ephesus. Soon afterwards, things started to go very wrong. False teaching crept into the church. And so Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy And he he urged Timothy to stay there, remain in Ephesus, because you're going to sort out the church. That's the first problem, false teaching in Ephesus. But after that, very quickly became a, a rise in persecution for Christians, especially if you were connected to Paul. By the time Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison clear from the end of the letter that he thinks that he is about to die for the gospel. And so if you are known to believe the same things as Paul, if you are associated with Paul, well, that's very shameful indeed. It's no surprise that we'll read in a few weeks' time that many of the gospel workers in Asia, what have they done? Well, they've deserted Paul. They've deserted him. And all of this means for Timothy, decision time. In a context of increasing pressure, in a context where many church leaders local to Timothy were twisting God's word to make it more palatable for the audience, Timothy's got a choice to make. Will he remain faithful even if it leads to suffering? Or will he not remain faithful to the gospel in order to avoid suffering? Will he and persevere in preaching God's words? Or will he compromise for the sake of comfort, decision time? We didn't quite get this far um, this evening, but do just look down to verse 8 of chapter 1. Verse 8, page 1195. Because I think this verse gives a helpful summary, if you like, of the whole letter. A summary of why Paul writes. Verse 8, Paul says this, So do not be ashamed... Of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, rather join with me in suffering for the gospel, 
by the power of God. Timothy, back in Ephesus, church leaders today, decision time. They've got a choice to make. And Paul writes this letter so that they may join him. Timothy, physically, to join him. But all of us, all church leaders, to join Paul, not being ashamed, but suffering for the gospel. Now, we'll get to the first seven verses in just a little while. But before um, I do, I want to address something because we might be thinking, well, okay, great letter, but why a Sunday evening? After all, if this is one of the pastoral epistles, the, the letters written to pastors, the others being 1 Timothy and Titus, if this is one of the pastoral epistles, then surely this letter is more appropriate for a Monday evening for oversight team. Or if this letter is one of the great ministry manuals, then surely the staff team should be looking at this on a Wednesday lunchtime, not church. Why do we need to look at it? Well, I think there's a whole load of reasons as to why we need to look at it. Let me just ask you a few questions. Are you involved in some form of teaching ministry? A number of us are. 2 Timothy is going to help us. It's going to remind us of the priorities that we should have. Are you considering full-time paid ministry longer term, like some of us maybe should be? 2 Timothy is going to give you some very realistic expectations. Might you ever move church in the future? 2 Timothy is going to show you what kind of church you should go to. Do you want the next generations to hear the true gospel? I hope we do. Well, 2 Timothy is going to give us a strategy of how that is going to be possible. There's just a few reasons as to why it's important. But as well as that, it's important that we have in mind that this letter has a wider audience than simply Timothy. Just flick with me to the very end of the letter, if you will, the very last verse. Chapter 4, verse 22, page 1197. Paul closes the letter with these words, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. It's a very personal letter, isn't it? You probably noticed, as as Chris read, the language. Paul calls Timothy his dear son. He's remembering him constantly in his prayers. He longs to see him. It's a very personal letter, yes, but by no means private. Public letter. It appears that as well as Paul writing directly to Timothy... He wants these things to be heard by the entire church. Grace be with you all. This is a letter for Timothy, yes. It's a letter for church leaders, yes. But it's a letter for God's people. Of course, we'll need to be careful when we apply this letter. Not all of us are Timothys, not all of us are church leaders. But it's important for us all to hear And if we think about it, that makes perfect sense. You see, what is going to help church leaders to remain faithful even if it leads to suffering? A church full of people ready to suffer with them. A church full of people who encourage them and thank them when they teach the difficult bits of the Bible. What's going to help a church leader to persevere in preaching the word of God when it leads to persecution? A church, of people, a church full of people praying for them. A church full of people publicly standing with them rather than being ashamed of what 
they teach. See, the way things are going in this country, there's no doubt it's only going to get harder for church leaders to remain faithful. There's no doubt that it's going to be more and more tempting for church leaders up and down the country to twist God's word, to be ashamed of the gospel. And all of us have a role to play in helping church leaders not to do that. We all have a role to play. Without further ado, let's dive in to the first seven verses. And in them, we're going to see one big command to Timothy and two big encouragements. The commands, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Now, if you want a fire, a few things um, that you might need, source of heat, some fuel, and some oxygen. Here, don't worry, this won't go wrong. Here I have um, some heat. Here I have um, a source of fuel. And hopefully in the room, there are some oxygen. Great, the flame's going. Simple science, though. What happens when you cover up a candle? It starts to burn up all of the oxygen, and hopefully it's going to go out. Simple science. Now, of course, um, when you have a bonfire, that's why that you, you start to get it going, but you have a little piece of cardboard. Don't worry, the, the flowers are okay. Um, you have a little bit of cardboard, and you fan gently. Get the oxygen going through to get the fire burning. Verse 6 says this, For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Just like we might fan to get the bonfire going, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. Keep the fire burning. We're not told about the gift um, here as such in detail, But back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. Verse 13, if you want to flick back. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy's gift, preaching and teaching, and Paul says, fan it into flame. Don't neglect your gift, use it. Keep going. Get up front, open the Bible, and teach Timothy. Preach the word of God. Keep the fire burning. Now, I'm sure you can imagine that Timothy might not want to do this. You can imagine him looking through the term card. Bother. Why are we teaching 1 Corinthians? Looking at the, the passages that he has been picked to preach. Ah, oh, nuts. Ugh, that's not good. Paul says, don't take your foot off the gas. Don't give up. Keep the fire burning. Now, of course, he's going to need some encouragement to do this. He's going to be tempted to give up. And so Paul gives him some encouragement in the rest of the verses, either side of verse 6. Two big things. Two big things that Paul says to give him confidence. He reminds him that he is part of God's people, and he reminds him that he is equipped with God's Spirit. 
Let's look at the first of those. Timothy, you're part of God's people. Let me read from verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find it so tempting just to to gloss over the opening couple of lines of, of Paul's letters. Ah, yeah, from Paul to Timothy. Great, let's move on. I always find that so tempting. But just, just look back with me to verse 1, because I think there's a very important phrase. Do you see that? In keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I think this is significant in the letter for a couple of reasons. And the first is that in a couple of weeks, we will see that there are some false teachers in Ephesus. And one of their big things that they taught was that we as Christians should expect more now than the Bible promises. Now, of course, Christians do receive many benefits now for being a Christian. Peace, forgiveness, the Spirit, etc. But right at the start of the letter... Paul wants to remind Timothy and us that we're waiting. We're waiting for the benefits of the gospel. It's the promise of life. These false teachers are saying, expect everything now. Paul says no, in keeping with the promise of life. That's one reason why I think it's significant. The second reason is because, well, I take it that this promise of life is exactly what Timothy needs to be reminded of. Remember the choice he's got to make? Suffer or not suffer? How's he going to choose to suffer? How's he going to do, verse 8? How's he not going to be ashamed of the Lord or of Paul? How's he going to join with Paul in suffering? Promise of life. We'll see it come up time and time again throughout this letter, I think. The promise of life. That's the only reason why Timothy's going to be able to keep going now. The glorious news that one day, even if he suffers, even if he dies for the gospel, he's going to be raised up with the Lord Jesus. The promise of life, that's the message. Very necessary for Timothy to take that on mind. And you see, for Timothy, it's not just some sort of vague hope. No, it's certain. Because just like Paul, and just like Paul's ancestors were, Timothy is part of God's people. Paul first met Timothy back in Acts chapter 16. We're told there that Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer, and that his father was a Greek. Fast forward 15 years later, after spending numerous amounts of time together, going out on missionary journeys, after writing much of the New Testament together, Paul can say, verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. At the end of the verse, I am persuaded now lives in you also. You're part of God's people, Timothy. Be assured of that. Now, of course, 
Timothy wasn't a Christian simply because his mother was a Christian. Just because we have Christian parents doesn't automatically mean that we're Christians. But Timothy's had the great privilege of being brought up in a Christian family. Imagine little Tim sat at home on his mother's lap as she reads the storybook Bible with him before he goes to bed. Imagine Granny Lois popping around, praying with Tim every night. It's a wonderful privilege, isn't it, that Tim's had? And then one day, Timothy, growing up, he decides for himself he wants to commit to following the Lord Jesus. He puts his faith in his death and resurrection. And at that moment, he's got the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Paul wants to say to Timothy, have confidence That faith that they had, you now have. It's the genuine faith. It's come from Paul's ancestors. It's come from Paul, the apostle of God. It's genuine. And you have a sincere faith in that gospel. You're part of God's people. Be confident of that. And so Paul goes on in verse 6, for this reason, did you notice the link? Because you are part of God's people, because you've put your faith in the genuine gospel, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You're part of God's people. Keep the fire burning. But that's not the only encouragement Paul gives to Timothy. You see, he also reminds him in verse 7 that he's equipped with God's spirit. Let me read again from verse Six. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, some people have read verse 7, and they've come to this conclusion that Timothy must be a very shy person. I'm timid Timothy, let's call him. But if you read through the rest of the New Testament, that just doesn't really seem to stack up. What kind of person is Timothy? Well, Timothy is the kind of person that Paul would say, stay in Ephesus, sort out the church. Timothy is the kind of person that Paul would send with the letter to the Corinthians to the church to make sure that they listened to what Paul said doesn't make sense that Timothy's naturally shy. Not timid Timothy, but troubleshooter. He's the one that you send when there's a big problem. Send Timothy. In Philippians, I have no one else like him, Paul writes of Timothy. And so the temptation for Timothy in Ephesus to be fearful, well, it just emphasizes for us just how difficult it must have been for Timothy He's known to be associated with Paul, the one who's in chains, the one who's about to die for being a Christian. Very fearful. Can you imagine that? Not just losing your job, but potentially death. He's under an incredible amount of pressure. And so Paul wants to encourage Timothy. Again, he wants to give him confidence. You're not alone. You've got the Spirit. The Spirit who gives power Love and self-discipline. The power that comes in preaching the true gospel. The false teachers, they might have looked powerful in teaching a gospel that doesn't involve suffering. But no, Timothy, you have true power. 
The power that the Spirit will give Timothy in order to persevere and endure when he goes through suffering. The love that Timothy is going to need to have for the ministers, for the people he ministers amongst. The self-control that Timothy is going to need to have in order to be a godly example. We'll see throughout the letter that the false teachers in Ephesus, they didn't have these things. They didn't have true power. They didn't have true love. They loved themselves, we're told, but they didn't love others. And they definitely didn't have self-control. But Timothy, you do. You have God's spirits. He is the one who equips you for the task at hand. You can see how encouraging the opening verses would have been for Timothy. Can you see how it would have given him great confidence? Keep the fire burning. Don't let it die out. Keep preaching and teaching the gospel. You really are part of God's people, and you've been equipped with God's spirits. Great opening for Timothy. Confidence building, encouraging for him. And of course, we could apply this um, quite broadly, and we could apply this quite generally to all Christians. That wouldn't necessarily be a wrong thing, I don't think, to do. All Christians have gifts, we've seen in 1 Corinthians. All Christians have gifts that we're, we're not to neglect, but that we're to use for the gospel. And we can be encouraged to use those gifts by remembering that we too, through faith, part of God's people, equipped with God's Spirit. And yet before we jump to us, we need to remember that this is first and foremost a letter written to a church leader. And so that means that it's better for us to think about applying it to church leaders first, to those who have the particular gifts of teaching and preaching. Verses written to give them confidence too part of God's people, and equipped for the task at hand with God's Spirit. But that doesn't mean that the verses don't apply to us. Do you remember the ends? The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. And I take it, therefore, that as these verses were read out in Ephesus for the church to hear as well, well, Paul would have wanted the church there to get behind Timothy to encourage Timothy as he does. The wonderful thing is that that does happen here regularly. It's so great to see our church family getting behind church leaders, encouraging them. Let's continue to do that. Don't underestimate how wonderful that is to hear words of encouragement from the church family. Don't underestimate the needs that church leaders have to be encouraged Speak to any church leader, and they will feel weak and useless, like they don't know what they're doing half the time. Some of the time they won't think that they're a Christian. Church leaders need encouragement. So let's continue to encourage them. Just like the Christians in Ephesus would have got behind Timothy. You're part of God's people, Timothy. You've been equipped with the Spirit. Let's continue to do that. But perhaps these verses might challenge um, what we might say to encourage someone. See, how does Paul encourage Timothy? Well, he doesn't say, you're a wonderful person. He doesn't say, you're a really gifted speaker. He doesn't praise him for his hard work and energy. He doesn't praise him for illustrations and, and applications. 
He first and foremost reminds him you're part of God's people, not because of the abilities that you have, but through faith in the Lord Jesus. He reminds him that he's equipped for the job, not looking back to his past performances, but because he's equipped with the Spirit. Gifts might come and go. Hard work and energy might come and go. Illustrations and applications might come and go. Past performances might come and go. But being part of God's people and equipped with God's Spirit remains. Let's make sure that we're a church not encouraging with subjective truths, but truths that are objective. However Timothy feels, whatever Timothy is going through, these two things are true. Church leaders today, however they feel, whatever they're going through, these two things are true. So let's be a church that use these truths, use this passage to get behind church leaders, encourage them. Because if church leaders in this country are going to persevere, if church leaders in this country and around the world are going to remain faithful, they need Christians around them, patching them up in cotton wool, reminding them, you're part of God's people, you're a genuine Christian, reminding them that they have everything that they need, that they are equipped for the job because they have God's Spirit amongst them. We'll pause there for this evening and come back to the next part of 2 Timothy next Sunday. But for now, why don't we pray together? Father, as we begin, we want to give you so much thanks for our elders and oversight team. Thank you for these godly men, for their service, for their hard work. But most importantly, thank you that they belong to you. Thank you that you have equipped them with your spirit. And we pray, Father, that you would use these verses and this letter to encourage us as a church family to inform us as to what true gospel ministry looks like and to then be a people who back this kind of ministry. Thank you for the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Father, that that would help us and sustain us this week. For Jesus' glory we ask. Amen. The musicians would like to come back up. We're going to close our time by singing together. Of course, we're all involved in supporting gospel ministry, even if it leads to suffering, and this song is a great song about that, for the cause of Christ the King. We give our lives an offering to stand as the music.